You're listening to Sascapes, a podcast featuring the stories of arts, culture, and heritage in Saskatchewan. Just past the Fort Capel Museum, on the other side of Echo Lake, is the village of Fort San, the home of the Heritage Landmark Sanatorium. It's also the home of Fort San Mayor Jim Harding. Thanks to Jim for introducing me to my guests I spoke with in Sascapes Podcast Episode 14. Jim is a man with a strong environmental conscience, a passion for saving Saskatchewan's heritage buildings, and a wealth of knowledge on the history of the area. You'll find many of Jim's publications and blogs online. Jim comes from a background influenced by artistic parents and family friends. Among those friends is one of Saskatchewan's art pioneers, the late Florence Bean James. My first podcast guest, Gene Freeman, in Episode 1, also spoke of the impact Florence had on the lives of so many. Jim and I sat in the living room of his staggeringly beautiful home as the sun set over Echo Lake, and Jim shared the exciting regrowth of Fort Capel's Old Central School, now home of the Fort Capel Center for the Arts. I'm Kevin Power, and this is Fort San Mayor Jim Harding. So now I'm sitting in the home of the mayor of Fort San, Mr. Jim Harding, who we heard from earlier today in, in another podcast. Jim, I'm sitting in your living room, which is absolutely stunning. Um, tell me first a bit about this house. Well, we're in a hill on the north side of the Capel Valley, about halfway between the lake and the upper hills, so we can capture the, the sun through the windows. So in the winter, if it's 30 below and the sun's out, the house is 70 inside and there's no internal heat. So it, it's passive solar, which is underrated and underused. Uh-huh. You don't need to build a complex solar heating system if you use passive solar and then it's a lot of it's recycled lumber old posts and beams and an awful lot pretty much all the doors and all the sills are recycled out of old wood I, I tried to to combine the sort of energy efficiency with recycling and biodegradability I tried to avoid every toxic material I could and I finally had to give in on vinyl windows because I was buying wood frame windows through the second system, which are mismeasured. They're good windows. They're just, I built the house around windows because you save money. And after a year and a half, I had three. So I ended up using vinyl and doing wood. So you're an environmentalist. Um, yes, in terms of 
living in this coolie and how we're trying to grow food and the house trying to, to lower the carbon impact. And then we have a combination of wind and solar, right. which we don't get all our electricity from, but we do really lower our footprint. And any excess that we don't use, if we're in a big wind at night, it goes down the grid and our neighbors are oh, basically using right. it. It goes backwards on the... And SAS power gives us credit. It's a net metering system. Right. It's not a highly progressive system like Europe where they do feed-in tariffs uh-huh. to encourage small producers to overproduce to reduce the need for, you know, big plants. But it's it's a, it's a toe in the water, really. Saskatchewan's actually quite far behind on renewable right. energy. And I should say, by... <laughs> Environmentalist, I mean that in the most complimentary of terms. Um, well, it practically, yeah. as well as yeah. otherwise. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I, yeah, I, I designed this in my head over a long time because I taught environmental studies with a lot of really bright design people, mm-hmm. including some engineers, um, some energy analysts, some some really good people, and then I started thinking, how can I actually make this simple rather than complex? So I wanted it to be simple. I wanted to reuse materials. I wanted to be connected to the environment. I didn't want to build a box, an environment, an efficient house that was ugly, mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be connected to the environment. So this it- is what I did. Again, so we're sitting at quite a nice elevation. Uh, what's the elevation here? Well, what? We're about 1,600 above sea level in yeah. prairies. Right. And we're, we're not expecting the floods to no. get this high. No kidding. We're nestled again. <laughs> Once again, here I am in hills looking mm-hmm. out over a stunning lake, gigantic. Um, this is Echo Lake. Echo, yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so... Apart from the odd duty as mayor, which I'm sure is time-consuming um, in and of itself. And odd. And odd. Yeah. Uh, you have a massive project on your hands on the other side of the lake, and that's where we did this mm-hmm. morning's podcast, um, and that is the new art center. Mm-hmm. Um, being built in what was the old center school, old central school, old central yeah. school, yeah. dated nineteen eleven. Right. So uh, we met Doreen this afternoon, who mentioned that she cornered you outside the washrooms of a local coffee house to say, "You've got to help us save this school." Uh, were you on board immediately? Well, actually, she was. At, she didn't tell the whole story. Mm-hmm. She was slated for heart surgery. Uh huh. And she said, um, I'm not going to die until I'm sure that that school was saved. How could you say no? So that was very compelling. Right. Since she actually touches some of the same things in me that my mom did. Mm-hmm. You know, she's sort of an adopted mother now. I've got a lot of adopted mothers out here. Mm-hmm. Um, Lorna, we'd known her through some other things. So, you know, the... Lorna, her daughter. Yeah, we yeah. known her. We're getting to know her, and through the Kairos group, and slowly. But no, it it. She got me at a weak moment. My dog had just died. To oh. be quite honest, my, oh, 
the dog that I saw in the photos there. Uh, no, uh, a later one. He had just died about uh, a week before, and I was oh. I was pretty hurt, hurting pretty badly. And I always look at that as Soup died just when we were digging the. Food. Your dog's name was Soup. Soup. Sook. From the Vancouver Island. Yes, I've been there. And that's why we named him that, because we'd been out uh, celebrating our son's uh, graduation from U of Vic. And we walked the Sook trails. That's that's the reason he ended up being named that way. So he got killed. We're not sure what happened to him. Same time as we were putting the wind footing in, and this crisis and call for action on we're going to lose one of our landmarks all happened so in in my kind of memory they're all kind of right so you're you're grieving the loss of souk and there is doreen clutching her chest saying i'm not going to die by the way i'm about to have a heart surgery but i'm not going until it was very compelling i can imagine and i was hungry and right they bought me soup right there you go (laughs) they kept my attention right so that was... They needed some help organizing the community. They didn't know the... It's not a technology community organizing, but there is a, there's a process if you want to do it right, and you, you have to get your information straight. So I interviewed them. Right. And then I went out and I re- answered the questions. I said, well, I need to know this, I need to know this. And they answered as much as they could on the history, on some architectural, you know, some heritage contacts. She knew Curve Maker. That's how I got yeah. to know him through her. Mm-hmm. And we wrote down these questions, and then we got enough good, solid information, and then we had an informal meeting, and 10 people turned up. Then we had another one a week later, 15 turned up. Then we had another one, 35 turned up. Right. Then we organized a petition, 220 people signed then we went to the town council and right. said, we think there's an alternative. And you made a pretty good case to town council because... Uh, we turned them around. You turned them around. Yeah. And so but three... They, but they were interested in this. Sure, this being money. Yeah, and we right. said, of course we're going to do a, a fundraising because this building can't be reused unless it's upgraded. Right. But we did the... We did the frugal upgrade with massive volunteer labor, uh-huh. including from some tradespeople, but most of it from, from people like our our members. Mm-hmm. So we kept the costs down, like that. We did. We've done what we've done now for about one hundred twenty-five thousand. Right. And anyone who came in there, for example, we did the electrical upgrade. We probably spent less than ten. When we had our first contractor came in using their model, he gave us an estimate of 35. And the way we did it is we rebuilt back whatever we could. Mm-hmm. We didn't tear walls out. We mm-hmm. redid whatever was in and it was code. We built on back, and then once we had it all down, then we got the town to put in the 220-amp system, and we put in a new box with our electrician, and it's just as good as if we'd torn the walls down and started from scratch. So that started three years ago. Yep. And um, it's coming along nicely, coming along according to plan. And what what's the hope 
dreams and aspirations of that building? What do you want to see? The first thing we did before we even went after grants is we we did a really thorough needs assessment in this whole region. We Uh interviewed about 35 groups. Right. All the First Nations and Métis dance and arts groups, all the visual groups, the theater groups, and we asked them what they thought was needed and what wasn't because we didn't want a duplicate. Mm -hmm. Given the nature of the space, the restrictions of the classroom design, we weren't going to tear down the building and put beams in. We weren't going to destroy the building to make it the right space. We were going to use that space for what we could. That's why we ended up, everybody said, well, we have no place we can use as a gallery. Mm-hmm. We have no small meeting and multi-use performance rooms. We're starting to get rented by the Files Hills Health District for their meetings because right. we've got that room that can set up and they can cook their own food. So, you know, there were a number, and then the dance studio, the potting was like right up there because the whole thing has collapsed in the community. There right. used to be the uh, Hanson Ross potting, and he trained, and they had all the stuff there, and Ross died in a car accident, and Hanson's disabled. So that, so we said, okay, we can do these things in this space. There's some things we can't do. We're not, gonna, we're not going to uh, compete with others. Mm-hmm. So the larger performing venues, the Midsummer Arts people have developed in the fort, mm-hmm. and they have big events there, and that's fine. And we have small 40, 50 performing sort of audiences. And once we had the vision of the best use of the space, then we had to grapple with the cross-cultural question. How are we going to ensure it's accessible to everyone, given that the schooling system was segregated right. historically. Yeah. There were First Nations and Métis kids in that school who were not in the residential school, obviously. And so it was a, it was a stereotype to say it, it wasn't a school that it was multicultural. But Indian education on reserves is gaining grounds. There's, a, a, there's the whole question of cultural appropriation and we have found that this school is mostly valued by non-indigenous mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. they they have more there were no first nations teachers at the time in the public school system now there is so we've grappled with that and that's going to be um, so what programming do you want to put in the center? Well, we tried to partner on Treaty 4 days last year and that didn't work out but not because the People didn't want it just because the people who were willing to do it couldn't. They were actually working out of out of town. And we'll keep working at doing partnering around three, four days, possibly a photography exhibit of the chiefs in the area that hasn't been shown publicly. Right, because you'll have a gallery space in there. Yeah. So, right. you know, we'll keep working at that. And we've had... Um, um, we've had two Pasqual Reserve residents on our board, and those connections are developing. Uh, they're developing, actually, not just through the arts. They're developing through water campaigns and right. a lot of other things right. in the community. So we decided we had to make the heritage the number one 
saving the building and the heritage is the number one objective, and then the energy upgrade uh, for environmental as well as cost reasons, and then uh, the reuse, phasing in the different rooms, and now four out of five spaces are using are being used. Right, and we're hoping to attract local sort of local artists co-op. Yeah, that could be self-organized using right. the space because we don't want. Um, to create unnecessary organization, if you can self-organize. Right. And touring musicians. Touring musicians. Space for them. Yeah. We've got, to, and that's being used. We're hoping to have a room for people to stay overnight. And then if people were to run a week-long dance workshop or a writer's workshop, there'd be a performer or writer in residence room. A small scale of the summer arts. This summer we're... We've partnered with someone who's going to run summer school, and she's seeing how she's doing for uptake of cottage, probably kids of cottagers. Yeah. And so we thought we'd let her run that and see how it works. She's doing it for several weeks. And then assess how we could or couldn't facilitate next year. But the goal would be to phase in some summer school of the arts, probably with kids during cottage time. Right. We don't have a residential system. Right. Possible. Right. And uh, just ease our way into it. And, you know, we'll have the dance, uh, Valley Dance, hopefully back in there in the fall. They used to use that building. And, uh, now, you could have, I mean, you could have saved the school and really converted it to anything. What? There were others who were bidding once they decided uh-huh. who would have turned it into condos. Right. Okay. So. And we went out on those bids because. Uh, there was stronger community support to right. reuse it for public use right. and privatizing it. Um, Do you have any kind of an arts uh, background yourself that, that made you? Hey, it's Kevin. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Just a quick reminder that the Sascapes podcast is available for free on your favorite podcast app, or you can stream it from your browser. Check out the show notes for the link. On the Sascapes homepage, you'll notice something new under the logo called Sascapes Plus. You can't miss it. There's a big button saying support with a heart icon next to it. I'd love it if you could click on that button and help keep this podcast series going. When Sascapes launched in May 2014, it was the first podcast in the province celebrating arts, culture, and heritage. In fact, you'd have been pretty hard-pressed to find any Saskatchewan podcast. So I'd like to think that we paved the way. It's been because of your support that this podcast is now in its ninth year. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Well, it's in the family. Uh Uh-huh. Um, well, we were talking about Florence James. I mean, yeah. my, this, this lady who used to yell at me when I was a teenager upstairs and right. convinced me to come to writer's workshop was the pioneer of the Saskatchewan Arts Board. Yes. And also, the summer school of the arts. So she dragged me out to that. And what was that writing course with? With, 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 with W.O. Yes. Mitchell. Right. And he was not successful in convincing me uh-huh. to to write a different way. Although I think I always under the surface as a researcher was mm-hmm. was was working with Im- imagery. I used to always have trouble with editors. 
because <laughs> they wanted me to take the description down to the bare bones. And I said, if there's not something on the bones, there's nothing to talk about. I promise you, you're not the first writer oh, no, to no, grapple no. with their editors. No, and then and then leaving the university where, where you're kind of forced into a granting system and a publishing system, you know, and I'm, I mean, I, as, as a social science researcher, you're still creative. Right. And sometimes, and you're embellishing, but, but there are some standards, and I believe in them, mm -hmm. around validity and reliability and that stuff. When I left there and I got started writing columns, and I had free reign, I realized that discipline made me a better journalist or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because I have some ethics about I will not I fact check till I'm blue in the face. Yeah. But I'll still I'll still try to make it interesting or compelling. Yeah. Um and so I'm not sorry I had that training, but it this is a much more engaging kind of writing to be writing in the community on sustainability or so I do a lot of internet researching and um, I'm in groups that are encouraging the linking of arts and environment and public engagement and education. So it works. It's, right. a, it's a nice fit. But you had a, so you had a, just going back on what you were saying about growing up, you grew up in Well, there's my mom's art on the wall. She's a printmaker. All right. She studied under a Filipino, the, the, really the printmaker of, of the Philippines, Rodriguez. She wrote his biography when she was there with the UN. And she herself wrote three books. She struggled with her arts practice all through our teenage years. And my sister and I knew there was something here that we didn't understand. Your mom's name? Beatrice Harding. Mm -hmm. She... She was struggling to find that expression. She initially wanted to be a master clothes designer when she was a farm girl. And we found drawings that were quite superb. She became a quite a seamstress mm. in the Depression as a way to earn money. Mm. But she had her eyes on a New York design school when she was in Morden, Manitoba as mm. a farm girl. Wow. And so she did sewing. She did tried photography, she tried writing, and then she found printmaking through this mentoring with Rodriguez, the Filipino. And that became, you know, you could tell, okay, she's found her, her way of expression. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I always knew that she wasn't as passionate about being a mom. Right. <laughs> oh, yes. Right. You know, my dad was, was probably... Probably nurtured more than my mom. Wow, and that was fine because you're you're still influenced and enriched by that sure. once you figure it out. Sure. So, the political side was strong through my father's work in the Medicare and the CCF, the co-ops, and then the UN. But this other influence has been as strong in the family, and there's artistic sort of. Uh, sensibilities in both our sons because mm -hmm. my mom's influence on them when they were kids. One's a musician and the other is a marine biologist who wants to be a potter. 
Because he did some really interesting plotting when he was little. But he is a marine biologist. But, I mean, right. that doesn't mean he's not going right. to be working with his hands creatively. Sure. He's sort of working with them creatively when he's diving. Right. Um, so that interaction. And in Regina, you know, around that community of the progressives, who, you know, really were the people who brought Medicare to Saskatchewan, there was a strong arts influence mm -hmm. in that community. Mm -hmm. All these families that were around the progressives uh, who were doing healthcare or other or other things around the CCF NDP, they, they were the ones who set up the European Film Club in Regina and brought in these incredible European films that we would see as teenagers that would, we'd never have seen these right, right. if they hadn't done that. So they were a pretty, and Florence James, of course, just enriched that circle of friends. And they were into dance, and they were, you know, they were a multi-talented group of people. Some of the people who set up the Regina Dance Studio were around that circle. So, you know, it's osmosis. You just, sure. you just pick it up. It's just a sensibility. And, the, and not polarizing art and politics, because it gets so polarized and, or reduced. Yeah. There's, a, there's creativity that finds many ways Curiosity and creativity find many ways to be expressed right. in conversation, in print, in paint. And there was no um, elitism in terms of form of art. Florence James was an absolute egalitarian about people finding their form of expression. She was heavily into theater, but if she saw people doing other things, she was like, 100%, go and do that. This is the same Florence... James, that my first podcast guest, Gene Freeman, uh, wrote about. You're going to find Florence's influences right. through the whole province. Right. Because they ran those summer theater things before the summer school. Right. They moved, Arts Board moved around the province before they established the School of the Arts so that many community theater groups formed under her influence and brought people out of the kind of woodwork into community creative networks. And those people did other things. They yeah. might do photography. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing because we see it in the art center. People will come in because they're interested in one thing because they think that's what they like. Yeah. They see something else sure. and they realize they real and now they might start playing with photography. Well, that is indeed what's so great about the art center is that it will yeah. be multi-purpose. Yeah. There'll be a lot of exposure to a lot of different. Yeah art forms it's so yeah. it's so refreshing to hear you know we spend so much time in the arts talking about what we're losing uh what's disappearing it's so refreshing to find out that there's there's new life springing up um, and you know. well and you know the 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 way it happens will be different um the artists around my family that were practicing artists, if I think about them, a lot of them were very active in child education. Okay, right. So they, they, they were, arts practice was part of child development. Hopefully that continues, although there has been some losses. This time around, I'm seeing, I'm seeing explorations across the colonial gap. I'm seeing fusion. You're, I'm starting, you're starting to see integrated bands. 
native, non-native musicians, and you're seeing music that's got drum tempo and the, yeah. the music my son plays has a bit of Spanish influence. It has drum tempo and has some punk rock in it. Something unique happens out of those relationships. Does your son live here? He's in Regina now, yeah. Right. So he might he might have an opportunity to do some workshops at the at the arts center? Oh yeah. He's doing them at the Y right now. But I mean here at the yeah. arts center? Yeah. Great. Great. Good. He's doing some uh, music based workshops at the Y now as part of his job where mm -hmm. they use music to work with these street kids to get them expressing themselves. Right. <laughs> and writing common songs and it right. works. Right. Because you can start off and then pretty soon you've got yourself in the recording room. It's very therapeutic. Take, take yeah. it all the way through. Yeah. And you transform how people no longer are bitter about each, about somebody else having an, an advantage. They're mm -hmm. actually celebrating. Right. You, you twist it. You turn it on its head. You don't change their stories. You don't tell them there's something wrong with their experience. It just, you transform the energy that's working with it into a binding creative energy. Right. It works. Right. It's called social therapy in the States. Yeah. Right. Because right. there's an arts movement in New York and Los Angeles and Atlanta that actually uses the arts, community arts, for community building around anti-violence campaigns. And, there is great know. healing through art. Yeah. Great healing. And so that side, so on the family side, my sister was a psychiatrist. She's now a retired psychiatrist who does community arts with kids that the system gave up on. Wow. And she's gone in and out of the New York Institute regularly, and, my, and her son is now one of the main activists in Atlanta in that institute of social therapy. And she dragged me there once, just like my mom would. And it really had a profound effect on me seeing the, how these things really did connect. How the arts, the community building, the educational, the therapeutic. Um, could, you could really pull these strands together. Mm. And that vision isn't necessarily shared across the board, although it's not articulated, but I think it is shared because actually when the place is being used this way, everybody's feeling, hey, it's starting to happen. Right. Well, we have kids coming in. We, we walked in there one day and there were 20 kids active in this room doing stuff. The energy was like, wow, it really was worth rebuilding this room. Yeah. Because they're in a safe, they're not in school. Nothing wrong with school, but this is them really getting a chance to find what feels right when they express. And you could tell when you came in there that these kids were really, really engaged in their work that they were doing. And the women who were running the thing are very good. You've got some very good, talented people in the community so that's yeah. a fantastic story yeah no it's exciting i want to say thank you for uh our initial conversations by phone mm -hmm. for your suggestions to meet doreen and mm -hmm. jack i think 
we all agree that they were a mm-hmm. fine representation of, mm-hmm. of the history of this area. Mm-hmm. And you could keep going. I could, if you Absolutely. stayed for a week, we'd go and see Hummer Bartlett, or we'd see, we can't see Lynn Anderson because he's died, but he was a key person in linking arts and heritage. And, and uh, I'll consider but it's that the same it. story. It's the yeah. same story yeah. and a different, different voice, but. I'll consider that an invitation to come back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. The Sascapes podcast is created by Kevin Power as part of the Culture Days Animateur program operated by Sass Culture. Funding to the cultural sector is provided through the Saskatchewan Lotteries Trust Fund for Sports, Culture, and Recreation. If you want to hear more of these podcasts, or to see the great work being done by other SAS culture animateurs, please visit www.iheartculture.ca. Special thanks to Paved Arts in Saskatoon for their technical support. Music for Sascapes is provided by Saskatchewan-born singer-songwriter Jeffrey Straker. There is no end to the stories to be told. So, until next time... <laughs>